Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith Middleton here with your welcome toast. It was Richard Sachs who said, And when all of the flourless chocolate cake and chocolate mousse or ganache cakes have come and gone, there will still be nothing like a fudgy brownie, dry and crackled on top, moist and dense within, with a glass of cold milk. I got that sunshine in my pocket, got that good soul in my feet, I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're at our culinary studio at the Big G Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. We have five gigantic professional kitchens to use, part of their culinary education training program. What a show we have lined up for you. My food buddies are here. I'm going to identify them in just one second. But here's what's coming up on the show. We're excited to have Rose Levy Berenbaum. She's one of the queens of Baking in America. She's got a brand new book, and this is a book that is for everybody, but I think especially for people like me, if you don't bake and you're just learning how, it is filled with pictures. Every step is shown, and it is so helpful and encouraging. You know exactly what it's supposed to look like. So we're going to be talking with her, and she's such a sweetheart. And the recipes in here, you're going to hear about her special pizza dough that she thinks is the best that she's ever had and her very own brown butter chocolate chip cookies, little ginger people that she tells you how to make, a lot of holiday stuff. And we're going to get you ready for any potluck for the holiday season. We've got some ideas for you. My treasured food buddies are here, Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, our senior contributor, senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. Let's, let's do this holiday thing. Alex, by the way, is at our sister station, KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona. This idea of having a potluck for the holidays is a wonderful one. A lot of us have done it many, many times. We've got a couple of ideas for you that we're kind of excited about and because we know how good these can be and how popular they are when they appear on the table. <laughs> they just disappear. There's a reason for that. So let's start with the meatball thing. Now, you, you put out a tray of meatballs and it, people just go crazy, right? I mean, Oh, agreed. And it doesn't matter what they're covered with, right? What sauce you use, whether they're in a pan or a crock pot. Where they where they're placed on yeah. the table, I will stretch over fifty <laughs> dishes to yeah. get to the meatballs. Mm -hmm. You could go online. There are a thousand cookbooks with meatball recipes. I just was reading uh, one recently, and the person said, uh, "Make about twelve batches of these because you cannot possibly supply enough of these." Yeah, last year my chef Brian. Remember, Brian is the buffalo guy. He's and our not, buffalo not sauce Not from editor. Buffalo, but the buffalo sauce. So last year he had to do a potluck. I think it was his, his house, so he had to provide one of them, and he's known for buffalo, and he did buffalo chicken meatballs. 
brilliant yeah. idea. They were so good. Can you and tell on the us side, how to okay. do those? Yeah, he did a very basic meatball. So he used ground chicken. You add a little bit of egg and some breadcrumbs to tighten it up. And then he started by doing some of the flavors and things in buffalo chicken wings, right? So he chopped up celery and he folded in right at the end blue cheese. And then he did what a lot of people did. He put them, made the little meatballs, baked them on a sheet, and then put them in a crock pot and then covered it with his buffalo sauce, which is the Frank's hot sauce mixed with butter. And he butter. puts a little bit of honey in there, too. And I'm telling you, these things were just to die for. And like you said, you couldn't have made enough because everyone brings a big pot of something. And that was like the first thing to go at his party. They were that good. Uh, my mouth is watering yeah. as I'm sitting here. Oh, that so good. And a little blue cheese and a little honey. Purses. So sweet, <laughs> salty <laughs> thing going on. I know, Alex. That's it. I have them in my pants pocket. <laughs> Down my do you bring, sweater. Uh, do you bring a large, like a a large purse to these parties? <laughs> Plastic wrap lined. Yeah. <laughs> it's not? just my Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, purse. Yeah. I would go as a buffalo yeah. meatball to the village Halloween parade. That's what uh, I would do. Um, it, uh, it just sounds incredible. It's such a smart idea to put the ingredients that would normally be placed on top mm-hmm. or served alongside buffalo chicken wings inside, inside those meatballs. Yeah. So I'm sure you can look up some variation. Oh, there's probably tons of recipes. Of this. There's really no ruining this recipe. So he baked them in the oven for a little while and put them in the crock pot? Yes. So he pre-baked them. So he made the little meatballs, laid them as he was making them, laid them on the little cookie sheet, and then put that in the oven, cooked them all the way through. And that could be done a day ahead of time. So you take them right out of the fridge, you throw them in your crock pot, you make your sauce, you throw it over the top, you put it on, and then they can sit in there. The new crock pots have that keep warm setting. They can stay in there for hours. You're not really cooking them No, you're just reheating them then. So you do it on the shortest setting. Yeah, and it's, I'm telling you, they just get so oh good. God, and that, that sauce just soaks in there, too. <laughs> sounds so amazing. I would have these serve these for dinner. <laughs> Never mind. Well, if the sweets can do Swedish meatballs for a meal, why can't we have buffalo oh, yeah. chicken balls <laughs> well, I don't know, I know. For, for an entree? <laughs> if you were going to do a quick one, you know what I would do what? since we're down here in New Haven? I'm shooting over to Ikea, which is right down the street, and you can buy the frozen Swedish meatballs. Mm, they're good. And those are so good. I get those every time I go over there. I mean, no, Ikea, is not just, Ikea is not just for furniture. You have to eat while you're there. You know what else is good there? If you're having people for breakfast, crepes, savory crepes, Uh and you pop them one at a time into the microwave for, I forget, you know, 15 seconds or something like that, and they become very hot, and then you would put anything you want on that crepe. You know, it could be a jam. It could be eggs. You can Nutella. do anything you want, but it's, yes, it's this, delicious. This time of year when you're having people over, you're <laughs> have, have even unplanned people come over, the neighbors pop in. Those are great to have in the freezer because you can, they walk in, you Fresh pull fresh. them, you thaw them, you got the Nutella in the cabinet, you smear them, pop them in the oven, mm-hmm. and you're done. Really good. Let's all talk about the other thing that we said we all wanted if we had gone to the potluck. And that's enchiladas, putting out a tray, a big tray of enchiladas. You can make a lot of them. You could put two trays in the oven, bake them off, and there you go. I'd be in heaven. And, you know, you can use corn tortillas so that 
everybody's eating the same thing. Sure. There's no problem. There's no separate gluten-free tray. And they taste delicious because we're all in it for the sauce, let's mm. face it. Oh. Okay, Chris, you once had a recipe for yeah. enchiladas. And it is about the sauce, right? So you can put anything you want in them. But the sauce is you make that ahead of time. And you can keep that in the freezer, too. And, Alex, I'm into this sauce. And, Robin, you, too, because this is from a woman who is Mexican, and this is her real sauce yeah. that she makes that, yeah. that Chris is going to give us. Mm-hmm. And again, it's at foodschmooze.org. Okay, Chris, first. Right. First, you need ancho chilies. And if you don't know what they are, they're really just dried large peppers. They're spicy, but not burning hot spicy. I mean, they look a little intimidating, but they're really easy to work with. All you do mm-hmm. is soak them in hot water. And I usually do like five minutes. She said, you know, you can do a little longer. I like to get them a little soft because what you want to do is once they soften up a little bit, you sort of rip them open and get the seeds out. Unless you like really hot, then you leave the seeds in. But I'm looking, you know, more of a medium heat to a mild heat. So you try to get all those seeds out. Then you take those anchos with that same liquid. You strain it, get all the seeds out, put it on the stove, and just bring it to a simmer and simmer it for about 15 minutes until these peppers sort of they reconstitute and get to the point where they're almost falling apart in that liquid and that's the base of your sauce then the next thing is the easiest thing in the world you take your anchos you strain them out of there put them in a blender with a couple cups of that same liquid then the rest of the ingredients is ground cumin garlic powder salt and this is the secret one that i didn't even see coming when she told us peanut butter And you put that in the blender. You blend it a couple times just to break it all up. And then you'll find it's a little loose. Then you just put it back on the stove, thicken it with cornstarch, and that's your sauce. What is the peanut butter doing in there? It gives it a little creaminess. It knocks down the heat of the peppers. If you use a sweetened peanut butter, which is what I use, it adds a teeny bit of sweetness, not a lot, but just a little bit. Again, works with and against that heat in those anchos. And then you'd say your ingredients are what? Chicken, bacon, and cheese. I would take a, a, let's just say, one of those chickens you get at the grocery store that are already cooked, right? One of those rotisserie chickens. Mm -hmm. So shred it up, a couple cups in a bowl. I'd cook off some bacon, break that up in the bowl, and some cheese. And you could just mix all that together. What kind of cheese? Some shredded cheddar. You know, you can even get those blended cheeses that are made for this. Sure. Yeah, they even have a little cumin mixed in or whatever, right? Then that's your filling. The next thing to do is decide whether or not you want corn. Or flour tortillas, like you said, doesn't make any difference. If you have gluten-free people coming over, I'm with you 100%. Do all corn. Don't tell anybody because they're not going to know you did it special for gluten-free. They're going to taste exactly like enchiladas because that's what... So they're made. Yeah. So, you, okay, so basically you take your tortillas, lay them on the table, take a little bit of that filling, run it down the middle, and just roll these up. As soon as you roll them, they go into a tray and they go right next to each other. So you just yep. stack them in there. And then you take your sauce, you pour it over the top. And then if you want to, you can add a little more grated cheese on top. But then it goes in a 350-degree oven for about 20, 25 minutes until it gets all gooey and cheesy. Like you said, that Mm, sauce, when you put it in the oven, it'll look like there's way too much sauce. But what you'll find is as they cook, corn and flour tortilla sucks it in. Oh, my gosh. And like you said, right, they're so good. My dear friend, Mm. the late artist Joy Wolke, would invite me every year to her enchilada 
party, and she had an unbelievable recipe for enchiladas. And it was one of the happy times of my whole eating life because they were so good. There's something about that combination. Here in Arizona, they call it Christmas enchiladas. They'll do the red sauce that Chris made, and they'll do the green sauce as well. And you put the red and green on top, and you have a Christmas Christmas enchilada. That's sweet. And what is the green coming from? It's just the green pepper instead of the yep. red pepper. Mm-hmm. Such okay. a cool idea. And for the also, I, I wouldn't be, don't put it past me if I found a good little Mexican place that made enchiladas. And order I, a tray. Yeah. <laughs> no, two yeah, trays. Great idea. Two trays. I Pop it do. in the oven. You and bet. You go. I always put out bowls of salsa. You can buy it already made, guacamole, yeah. get some chips, and really, you have a party right there. You, you don't do. Need anything else. And Joy would put the whole tray right straight from the oven, yeah. boom, on the table. There must have been probably 200 people walking around her house. And a big bucket of icy cold beers, oh, yeah. bottles of beer, yeah. mm. oh, some and, limes. And mm. to your point earlier, you could put anything in these. We did bacon and chicken just off the top of our heads, but you could make these all vegetable. You could, cheese, I mean, yeah. just cheese. It could be anything. You could do vegan You can use Manchego cheese even. Manchego Ooh. cheese. Yeah. You could do chorizo sausage. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're all uh, thinking <laughs> down the line. Spanish uh, here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Alex. You know, you could do an Indian version. <laughs> totally. Of, oh, yeah. You know, with, the with beer, the, the some Indian kind cheese. of masala sauce yeah. on top. That would be so fantastic. as an Oh. It's almost like the meatloaf of the Mexican world. You can just put anything in it. And for potluck, it's a great dish because you make it ahead of time. And if you're bringing it over to the neighbors or friends, you can even bake it there. Just tell them, I'm bringing enchiladas. Can I use your oven for you know 20 minutes? I'll just throw it in there and boom. They're hot we need and ready your casserole to go. cozy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. We do need that. <laughs> Knitted pink yarn or something. <laughs> Have you been Not knitting? Avocado green. No. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> we have a restaurant tip for you, soul food. One more party dish for the potluck. And I wish somebody would make this and invite me. And a little later on in the show, we're so excited. Rose Levy Berenbaum, the great baker, is on the show with her new book, Rose's Baking Basics. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Feliz Navidad. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. 
Find Faith Middleton. Sign up for our free podcast, meaning copy of the show. You just sign up once at foodschmooze.org. You'll see the little box, and it'll arrive to you every single week. And you can listen on your schedule anytime you want. You can build a little library. You can go back and check on things. You'll have it right there on your phone. You can just play it when you want. In the next segment, we've got Rose Levy Barenbaum, as our celebrated chef on the show, author of The Cake Bible. She's got a new book out. Can't wait to talk with her about her very special brown butter chocolate chip cookies. Okay, and how to make little ginger people coming your way. Now, we promised you a restaurant tip and one more potluck dish. And for the restaurant tip, this comes from Chris. And he just can't stop talking about this place, and he has really made me want to go. So tell us, what's it called? It's called Sandra's Next Generation, and it's soul food. And it's right here in New Haven on Congress Avenue. And I'm just going to read the first line from the menu because it just says everything. It is said that cooking is an act of love. If that's true, then my career was born from my mother's heart. And that is the feeling. So my friend Scuddy, who's a psychologist at Yale, and we hang out on Sundays now, he was like, have you ever been to blah, blah, blah? I'm like, what? There's a sulfur restaurant in New Haven? He goes, oh, my gosh. You got to try it. And look at the menu. menu. I mean, it's just so – this is this food and the feeling of love that washes over you from the second you walked in to the second they seat you to the second they bring you the food. It's just absolute euphoria. It's such a cool place. And it's like a neighborhood place. So it's everyone that lives in this section of New Haven getting together on a Sunday afternoon. They do a ton of takeout, like takeout like I've never seen. There was a line that kept going. So here's what we've got. um, Barbecued chicken, blackened fish, Mm -hmm. barbecued Mm -hmm. pork ribs, fried catfish. Oh, Oh, I love that. Catfish was good. Pork chop barbecue Turkey oh, chop barbecue, yeah. blackened salmon, fried or smothered pork chops. Oh, smothered pork uh, chops, heaven. Uh, fried or blackened shrimp yeah. and a smothered chicken. Yeah. Now, on Wednesdays, uh, it's meatloaf and mashed potato day. Oh, Thursdays, turkey with dressing. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, my God. Also on Thursdays, oxtails with rice. Oh, I want to go on a Thursday. Fridays, chitlins. Jerk chicken, mm-hmm. and then Saturday and Sunday, International Day. You need <gasps> the sides. They're just, you can get like four, or I would say get 10 sides because the sides are just like, you, you, you would eat them like, that's the, the the that's the best side. That's the best side. Oh my gosh, look <laughs> at the sides. Caribbean rice, collard greens, yeah. black eyed peas, oh fried God. okra, sweet potato fries, candy yeah. yams, potato salad, fried plantains, string beans, cabbage, corn, kale, baked macaroni and cheese. Uh oh. Yeah, oh my God, everything. And 21 beans. Yeah, the 21 oh. beans were mind blowing. This is called Sandra's <laughs> Next Generation Catering Available. Yes. Check out everything online at sandrasnextgeneration.com. This is on Congress Avenue in New Haven. Here's a picture of Sandra Pittman She's on one, the back. I mean, she is such a wonderful person. Okay, now you haven't even asked me about the sweets. Oh, try! Oh my God, the sweet There's potato more. pie! <laughs> First of all, oh. all these dishes can be in sandwiches too, mm-hmm. which are around between six and seven dollars. Oh, amazing value! 
Okay. I'm so flying home. <laughs> his sweets, sweet potato pie, yeah. peach cobbler, uh-huh. banana pudding. Scuddy always has the banana oh, pudding. Coconut pineapple cake oh. and a chocolate frosted cake and more. And oh it really gosh. is made with love. I'm telling you, people think I'm crazy, but you all can tell. All made from tell. scratch, I'm sure. Yeah, and you can tell when food is made with love. This is all family. It's her and her husband and her kids. Yeah, can I just read this yeah. to you? She says... Since the early days, I've met and married the love of my life and business partner, Miguel. We've had four beautiful children. We've grown from $5 Fridays to two sit-down locations. It's been a long journey that my mother has taken with us, always helping, always advising, and always inspiring. I've loved and appreciated every step, and now I'm a professional restaurateur, but my mother is still the best cook I know. And I am still her student. There are some dishes that I still haven't mastered at her level. Her meatloaf, her sweet potato pie, her fried cabbage, they're still the best. Wow. Don't you want to go? Yeah. Like, I'm going to go every Sunday for the rest (laughs) of my life. Chris, I see the airport. I'm flying home. I'm going to pick you up and we're going. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I keep saying Mm -hmm. it, but it's not just the food. It's the atmosphere. It's it's her love in the dining room, Mm -hmm. just walking around, seeing, making sure you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can Thank feel you. it from here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm starving all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, we haven't even gotten to roast um, Barenbaum. Uh, this is like crazy. Okay, yeah. Alex, I wanted to get this in because I know you just made yeah. this, and I thought, what a thing to bring to a potluck or to put out when people are coming over. Tuna casserole. You know mm-hmm. that old school thing when you make it yeah. well, it is so unbeatable. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you do it? I, I surprised Matt uh, made it for him. Uh, he wanted something healthy and it's classic tuna noodle casserole. So you cook your wide egg noodles a little underdone. You're going to in a saute pan, saute some onions in butter. And then in a mixing bowl, you're going to do one part mayonnaise, one part whole milk, and one part sour cream, and a lot of cheddar cheese all ground up, you know, grated up, some peas. Here's what you have to make a choice. You have a choice. Your health do you choice. want? Yeah, wait, I'll tell you what, what. After he ate it, what he said. So you can do either cream of mushroom or cream of oh. celery, and this is Ooh, the only decision soup. you have to make. So okay. I did cream of mushroom, two cans. That's my favorite. And then um, you have this like cream sauce, and then you add drained albacore tuna, and then you add butter and onions, and you <laughs> fold it all together. You add your cooked noodles, gently fold it, put it in a casserole. You have to put on top. Crushed potato chips. <laughs> yes, that's the oh. key. One cup crushed potato, which is fun because you get to buy a brand new bag and mm. you get to eat them while you're making it. <laughs> that's the whole point, so, isn't it? <laughs> so, and then it came out of the oven. Matt walked through the door, also made brownies because the oven was already on. It is the ultimate comfort food. I got a 10 out of a 10. <laughs> So you did. So juicy inside, and, and the potato chips are crunchy. It's macaroni and cheese times 10. It is so delicious. Wow. So Doesn't good. that sound good? And See, it's a well, classic, right? I mean, it's that absolute goes, 80s classic. Don't you think it came out of the Campbell's Soup Test Kitchen? Probably. I, they say yeah. the original one was Sunset Magazine 1930. That's the first printed version they can find. Of it. Wow. But I think you're what? right. I think in the 50s when Campbell came on the thing and they were looking for other uses like all the things you can do with Campbell's soup, 
the green bean mm-hmm. casserole and all that. This was oh, one yeah. of theirs, right? The, wow. The two soups and just, As yeah. a family, you, you come down, you take it out of the oven, you yep. put it in the middle of the family table. Everyone scoops Everyone has it their, out. <laughs> scoops it out. And then brownies for dessert. And we use a brownies <laughs> pan that it's all corners. So it's like, I know. It's like three pieces I of know corner. that pan. Okay, so quickly, everybody, you want to talk about just brainstorm some ideas on little food things that you could make quickly for people in the next couple weeks to give us gifts. I have a friend, Caroline Wharton, who mm-hmm. makes these little coffee cakes. She has those tins where the one tin has, you know, I don't know, six little coffee cakes. Mm-hmm. And she gives everyone a little one with a bow around it. And it's one of my favorite presents to get because it's delicious coffee uh-huh. cake. So you, you can do that. Yeah, I have yeah. one that I'm doing this year. After, I don't know, 20, no, 30, no, 40 years, I finally made up with gin. Jin and I had a bad parting years ago. G-I-N. G-I-N. We don't talk. We had a bad time, long time ago, and now we've reconciled. So I'm taking golden raisins, and I'm soaking them in gin for at least a week, and then they soak up the gin. Are they supposed to be covered? So I take a mason jar, I pour a box of raisins in there, and then I cover them in gin. And whatever gin you have, whatever your favorite is, doesn't matter, and then put the lid on it, throw it in the fridge. You should do this for at least a week. And then what I'm doing is I'm taking a little jar. I bought these little two-ounce mason jars. They're teeny little jars. And I'm going to fill them with the raisins. And then on, as a little necktie kind of thing on it, I'm putting a Negroni recipe on it. And I'm going to do an Aperol Negroni to make it a little different, which is basically equal parts sweet vermouth, gin, and set of Campari. Use Aperol. So you're and not going to make a drink for them. You no. give them the recipe. Yeah. And then you put... Put a couple of gin-soaked raisins in the Aperol Negroni, which has this, like, cranberry kind of orangey color. So it's a great Christmas drink. Can you make it with vodka? Sure. You can make it with whatever you want. Yeah. Rum or so any of those spirits you you would soak. And it's very inexpensive and it's really neat and thoughtful, right? Because you give them a recipe and it doesn't cost a lot of money and it's fun. Really fun. And even if you're not making the drink, the gin soak raisins are pretty good on their own. Oh, (laughs) okay. If you had anything to drink, (laughs) just a few raisins. You know where the idea came from? Who loves the Negroni here? Because of Robin, I I did the gin Negroni. That makes me so happy. Mm. And also, I I know what my Christmas present is this year, too. Yes, you're getting gin soaked raisins. (laughs) (laughs) Toss out some ideas. Come on, toss out some ideas. How about fudge? That's Mm. so 1950s. Mm. I like retro. Alex, you're so nostalgic. So good. It reminds me of my mom's cookbook, the plaid one. You know, this would be one of the pages. Yes. Fudge. I love fudge. Chris, that's pretty much all you do now is give food as gifts, right? Yeah, my, and not just me. I've passed it on to my entire staff. And this time of year, everyone starts getting busy preparing what they're going to do as a Christmas gift. And we trade. So I'll make a little extra raisins for Brian. Brian does uh, his hot sauce every year. He makes a little extra hot sauce for me. Sierra and I made a big batch of sauerkraut, so we're going to get that in the jar. So we like to do preserved things because it's easier. You don't have to worry and it lasts a long time. Like his hot sauce has an unlimited shelf life. We like to do things that last. So three months from now, you've opened your refrigerator and you see the gin-soaked raisins or the sauerkraut, and it makes you think like, oh, yeah, Chris at Metro Beast made that for me. Or, you I know, Sierra at Metro Beast made that for me. It means so much yeah. that someone yeah. actually makes this thing for you. It's not how elaborate it is. My so- favorite birthday present is if someone makes me a real cake with real see? buttercream. 
Yeah. You know, it doesn't get any better oh. than that. Yeah, You're better ready? than any someone... shirt or tie or sweater. Oh my gosh. Or... We're going to make you very happy over this next segment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're, gonna hear about You're getting some, some cake. <laughs> You're going to hear about some cake. Because <laughs> um, Rose Levy Barenbaum is joining us. If you're just joining the show, she's coming up shortly, and we're very excited to have her on the show. I have a friend who goes out and buys those giant bags of very fresh pistachios and then divides them up into little pieces of pretty fabric and puts a bow and gives you a little fabric bag of pistachios. And you realize from having them that all the other Mm. pistachios are (laughs) are just, I don't know what in the world. And who doesn't love pistachio nuts? Popping them all open. She goes to, you know, an international market and and buys, you know, a ton of them. And one of the things that we've talked about on the show, I think probably every year, so now's the time, there are places where you can get products made in Connecticut by small artisans pass them on mm-hmm. as gifts to people. It might be of a, a fudge sauce. It might be a local juice. It might be eggs from a local farm. Six Whatever it is, you could do, yeah, yeah you could sure. do a gift basket or you could just mm. choose one of those items yeah. and mm-hmm. say, at our house, we're supporting yeah. Connecticut products this year. And so this idea. is something that we really like, you know, half a dozen cider donuts from one oh, of the farms. Yeah. You could just go on That's and good. on with this. It's a great present. <laughs> That's a good present. <laughs> I really, I don't need any more things. So by all means, but, bring food over. Yeah, because, yeah. But you definitely could use some more donuts. Who <laughs> can't use a dozen donuts at any given moment? I know. I will not be re-gifting. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. one has a bite out yeah. of it. <laughs> I just they only come say, in 11. <laughs> I just want to say when I had got that scariest of all scary phone calls from Jacques Pepin, who was coming to dinner, and he said, uh, Faith, I hope you don't mind. I'm bringing Jean-Claude. And, you know, he was the pastry chef to the president of France. If you don't mind, he and his wife are coming with us to dinner, too. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> no I would pressure. die. I mean, I really, I was Wait. thinking, oh, my God, I don't bake. As yeah, you're that about Carvel to ice cream cake's not going to cut it. <laughs> so I was thinking and thinking, and I thought, you know what? What do I like? I like those cider donuts at Bishop's Orchard, <laughs> yep. and yes. I went to that farm stand, and I got those cider donuts. Fresh. I got them Hot. fresh, and I yeah. put them in the oven nice. when it was time for dessert, oh. and then scoop vanilla ice cream on top. Heaven. Even the pastry chef to the president of likes France donuts. likes cider donuts. Uh-huh. So there you go. You kind of can't miss. All right. I can't wait for this. Rose Levy Barenbaum is here with her new cookbook called Roses Baking Basics. And even I want to bake, and you'll hear how wild that is. Um, We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. Great stuff coming your way. We'll be right back. I should do like those Christmas cookies, sugar. I should do like those Christmas cookies, babe. 
Once it looked like Santa Claus, Christmas trees and bells and stars. I should do like those Christmas cookies, babe. I'm Faith Middleton. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York. New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island. That includes the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear this show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9. And Saturdays at noon, you can get podcasts and our curated recommendations always online at foodschmooze.org. If you love to bake, all I have to do is name our guest, Rose Levy Berenbaum. And you've probably saying to yourself, I have all her books. So I can't wait to talk with her about this newest one, Rose's Baking Basics. She's done something rare in this book, found a way to present her recipes for both novices and home experts, I'll call them, plus people like me, the terrified baker. The way Rose Levy Berenbaum and her team have done this is to provide pictures of just about every step in every recipe. A little like watching food TV, you know, where you love seeing how things are done, except you can pause over a picture and see what does that loaf look like? How did she fold this thing? You know, it's like uh, food TV at your speed. So I love that about this. And the thing is that as a terrified baker, I read her books. I don't bake because I'm, I'm like Chris. I'm absolutely no. terrified <laughs> of making a mistake, not understanding the science of things. I don't even get in there and try, but I read Rose's books like novels. You know, I fantasize that I'm making them. And this book, though, I have to say, Chris, makes me feel like I can do this. Okay, so we have recipes posted from the book to give you a taste of it at foodschmooze.org. We're going to talk about those recipes, especially the brown butter chocolate chip cookies, but lots of other things too, very holiday oriented. Uh, The author of Rose's Baking Basics, Rose Levy Berenbaum, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you, Faith. This sounds like a pun, but I was honestly going to say you have to have faith, and I realized you should have it. It's your name. I mean, if you work from this book and believe what everything I say is going to work, it will work because all the information is there. The only thing is it's better to weigh than to measure. Better to weigh than to measure. And I don't weigh anything, including myself. (laughs) No scales. It's a a bumper sticker. Okay. This idea of going with all these pictures, were you afraid that this was too basic for you? I've, I've really done all these other cookbooks. You kind of hinted at that in your introduction. That's true because... When the editor proposed the idea, I said, people are baking from all of my books, and even very young people get Blue Ribbon Awards at county fairs, so why should I step back? Then I realized it wouldn't be a step back if we could have pictures of all the step-by-steps, because that would benefit, as you so wisely put it, even experienced bakers. This is the ideal way. You show it evolving. Here's when I put this much cream into that pan, then I add this much more, and then I'm putting a little chocolate on here. See what I'm doing? It was and a wonderful opportunity, and the photographer was able to capture all of that, which is amazing. Having those steps is invaluable. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to 
One of the recipes that I just mentioned that, thank you for this, uh, you allowed us to put this up on the site so people can experience the kind of thing that you do, and I hope you will experience this one and send them to me. I'm a nut about brown butter. I think it is the most beautiful oh, thing. Yeah, if something calls cardboard. for butter, Alex, as you know, <laughs> I'm making it into brown butter. Interesting you said nut because in French it's bernoisette, which means hazelnut. Yes. So this is your chocolate chip cookies, and you're using brown butter in these. We're talking about unsalted butter, egg, walnuts, flour, baking soda, sea salt, light brown sugar, granulated sugar, golden syrup or corn syrup, vanilla extract, and dark chocolate chips. So tell me, why brown butter? What is that going to give this recipe? The reason I use the brown butter is because I clarify the butter to get rid of the water. That gives a chewier cookie. And I thought, if I'm going to be clarifying the butter, why not brown it and get more flavor as well? Yum. <laughs> Isn't that just a great idea? Then the solids are also delicious in the cookie. That's what's browning. And when all of the water disappears and evaporates, the solids begin to brown, and they yeah. take on that wonderful flavor. Yeah, and that's brown butter. I and never thought about yeah. what actually is browning. I'm so yeah. glad you explained that. So that's going to add a richness. And then this business of using either golden syrup or corn syrup, a lot of people use Lyles, I think. What does that do in this recipe? Corn syrup only adds sweetening, but the golden syrup, as a butterscotch lilting quality, Ooh. it's incomparable. There's no going back after you try that. You're going to have to get some of that. <laughs> and, of course, the reason I put the syrup in to begin with is to give a chewy quality. It used to be I'd look at a recipe and see one thing or the other and think they were synonymous, but it's not so. The first choice is always the better one. The second choice is if you really can't do the first choice. Mm. Nice, I like that. Mm. It's true for so many things. <laughs> it is. For years, I thought that cilantro or mm. parsley were synonymous when Pierre Frenet wrote about it. Then I tasted cilantro in India. Oh, it just is no flavor in the parsley compared to cilantro. Uh -huh. Why do you put both a light brown sugar and granulated sugar in? That's, again, for the chewiness that comes from the molasses in the brown sugar. But too much of it... It would brown too much, and it would be, maybe be too strong in molasses. So that's why there's a balance of the two. And this recipe we're talking about, these are roses, personal chocolate chip cookies. Really? And so if you follow her the way I do, as I do my fantasy baking and eating, you know, you can see pictures of here's what the butter looks like. Here's the color of it in its glass. Awesome. Look at her fingers getting the skin off the walnuts so it gets rid of a little of the bitterness that comes with the walnuts because of that little bit of skin. Look at this picture of the bowl that with the dough in it. It shows the texture of the dough when it's ready to be then rolled into the balls. Here's what they look like. If you flatten them with her, her hand as she does in this picture, you see this is how thick they're supposed to be. And then you see them on the wire rack outside the oven. It's just fabulous. And can you imagine all the work that went into that? The photographer took 15,000 shots. Wow. And had to, <laughs> to, we were supposed to have 500 but we all loved them so much that we even the editor said, we'll just give you more pages 
That's amazing. <gasps> wow. I think it's invaluable. I mean, it just I've never seen anything like this before. I'm so happy with that yeah. it came out as well. Yeah. Better it, even than expected. It reminds me of Jacques Pepin's first couple of books. Remember La Method and La Technique? They were photo that's, books, right? That's mm. what inspired me. Yeah. I always wanted to have a book like that. Yeah. And I, but I wanted the pictures to be larger in color. Now, this is such an interesting idea to me. Cream cheese crunch pound cake. Pound cake by itself is, I think, unbeatable when you do it well. Now you've got a crunchy topping mm. on it. Almost, it feels streusel-like. Yes. So it's like a cross between a pound cake and coffee cake. Ooh. I, I think in my mind. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, the, I love the top. I eat the top <laughs> off the coffee cake. That's it. Just that crunchy part. I'll eat the bottom part, Chris, for you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a good way. It's like having an Oreo partnership. Um, unsalted butter, graham crackers, pecan halves, and sugar. That's what makes up this Louisiana pecan crunch coating. So tell me how you came to this idea of putting this kind of topping on a pound cake. It's my protege, David Shama who wrote the foreword and to whom I dedicated the book, he's such a recipe sleuth, and he told me that the Louisiana crunch topping is really terrific, especially on a pound cake. The original one, the crunch part, had powdered sugar. It doesn't actually come from Louisiana. I think it comes from Texas. But someone thought it would be a more romantic name to call it Louisiana, because <laughs> I don't know why. You know? So you made this in a loaf pan so that when you slice it, it's got that crunchy business all the way around. That's one of my favorite photos in the book. <laughs> yeah. My hand looks like it's loving it. We don't happen to have that posted at our website, but I just couldn't resist. What we do have at the website, and we are talking with Rose Levy Berenbaum, who is, I think, one of the queens of baking in the United States of America. Wow. She's done this new book, Rose's Baking Basics, um, for the holidays, we couldn't resist. This is um, something that Robin Doyen Aiken, the senior producer, chose, and it is so smart because at the holidays, you say this to kids especially, and for people like me when I go into a store and they've got gingerbread folks, oh, yeah. as, as you call them. <laughs> I love them. I'm just like, oh, I am absolutely eating these. So this is how to um, make them for them to have that lovely spice flavor that makes them not just an object that you would hang on a tree, but something truly delicious. Do you know that I still have the dough in the freezer from last Christmas, from the photo shoot? Ginger is a preservative, and it will keep it really well, especially in the freezer, almost indefinitely. Sounds very Egyptian. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you find it in the pyramids. <laughs> There are many ways you can decorate, as I show in the pictures of a little mouse cinnamon red hot, raisin eyes, well, currants are a better size. Mm. But I think the royal icing is just egg white and powdered sugar. You can even buy it in candy supply stores, but it's so easy to make and really fun to decorate. And another important thing is I used to forget to put the hole when I want to hang them. So you have to put the hole in them before baking, because if you try putting it in after, it will probably split the cookies. I love that, and we have that posted at foodschmooze.org. Hey, how many freezers do you have? A lot. We had to buy a new refrigerator freezer to do this book and put it in the garage that we needed to rewire because it takes a lot of current for running them. 
We have three. Wow. And, and I tend to use them so that I don't know what's in the back of each one because, like, I found 18-year-old Concord grapes. Ooh. Yeah, and they were still good. No they kidding. They weren't vibrant. No, but... <laughs> it's called wine. <laughs> I try to be good about writing down what's in the freezer and refrigerator, but... This is where the people are going, just don't go to her house for dinner. <laughs> Come and help me. It's <laughs> funny. Okay, here's another one that you allowed us to put on the site. So this is your milk chocolate caramel tart. Yes, and there's a dark chocolate version with the fleur de sel on top. See, with the dark chocolate, you can use more caramel because it's not too sweet. Mm. With the milk chocolate, you'll notice it has a thinner layer on it. You just landed on one of my top favorite recipes in the book. Does that mean for you that you would make this many times? Yes. When somebody says, come for dinner, which then I always say, I'll bring dessert. <laughs> and that's when I start remembering my favorite things. My favorite new cake is the triple lemon bun. I'm just crazy about lemon. I think we have the same flavor preferences. Oh, Caramel, yeah. chocolate, lemon. Oh, Actually, yeah. I prefer lemon to chocolate. That's my number one flavor. I am trying to cut back on salt. I'm always looking for things like I stumbled on your pizza tomato sauce, your favorite pizza tomato sauce, which is in this book, in the tart section. And I was excited. And I'm sure you've discovered that vinegar, acid, lemon replaces salt. It gives that uplift, that lilt. I see this in your recipe, and I was really curious why that was in there. Was it a replacement for a splash of wine? It was what my theory was, which would be acid. But now I see why this happens. I think the best tomatoes in the world probably come from Sicily, the San Marzano. There are a lot of imitation, but anything that grows in volcanic soil, like the Muscovado sugar from Mauritius, from the island of Mauritius, has so much more flavor and complexity. It's the acidity that gives it that. And I don't see why I would just have to use this for a pizza. I certainly would use this with pasta, rice, quinoa. Your recipe calls for olive oil, sea salt, oregano, crushed red pepper flakes, the San Marzano, whole peeled tomatoes in a can, a little bit of garlic, and a splash of uh, red wine vinegar. So that sounds absolutely delicious to me. And there's a reason I call for sea salt in recipes. People wonder why, and that's because it's standard to measure. Fine sea salt is always six grams per teaspoon. But in books or recipes where people say kosher salt, you don't know which type of kosher salt unless they specify. And one type is kind of hollow. I think it's a diamond. It's about half the weight. So you're, if you're using the other one, you're getting a lot, almost double the salt. Yeah. So, the, so de the, the detail you're getting into right there, are you saying that perfectibility ensures the best flavor, that that's what we're trying to do is be as close to perfect in duplicating recipe as possible when we're baking? Yeah, when it comes to baking, the closer you can get to what's intended, the more your chances that you're going to get something wonderful. But it's also the quality of the ingredients you use. If somebody specifies dark brown sugar or unbleached flour versus bleached flour, it makes a huge difference. At least make it the first time the way it's been specified to see what it's supposed to be. And then you can play around with it. But I always recommend, we all learn this in high school science, 
always change one variable at a time because if you change two, you don't know which one was the one responsible for the outcome that you may or may not like, you know? I do know. I made, um, I made, I tried to perfect brownies once and I made 20 trays. And by the time I was done, I had no idea what, what one was, what, what did I do with that? And I subtracted what from that? Uh, so I dreamt about brownies last night. You've just made me remember that. Ah, we're on the same page. I think I'm too much into this baking thing at this point that all I think about, because we've been traveling around demonstrating and talking about it, is baking recipes. But I do cook, and I love savory cooking, and that's why I'm glad this, the book has a chapter on bread, including my favorite pizza, which I must have worked all my life to get to the point where it's airy and bubbly, it has a slight chew, but it's tender. I'm just so mm. thrilled with that pizza crust. One of my major secrets there is to make it a day ahead because you can still get a good pizza without waiting. But if you wait a day ahead, you get more bubbles. It's much better texture. Oh, isn't that the Very best? Good. Have you met a gluten-free flour yet that you like? What I have met is gluten-free recipes that don't call for flour at all. <laughs> Good answer. I mean, I love flourless cakes. I don't like flourless bread, I have to admit. Mm -hmm. But I have tried two different ones, and I thought if I could never eat bread again, maybe. But since I don't have a problem of gluten intolerance, it's very hard to be motivated to use something that is such a compromise. And there, there's some wonderful work being done on that. But it's a specialty, and I have enough trouble getting all the things out that I want to share. Mm -hmm. All right, you have to swear right now that uh, you're going to come back on the show. Oh, I, I will remind you. That's how I, I swear. <laughs> because okay. I have to say, Faith, you are the best. I mean, you, oh. you picked up on so many of the things. No one else has done. That means so much to me. Thank you very much for being on the show. It is just such a treat, and you're just an amazing, amazing cookbook author and baker. Just stunning. You can meet Rose Levy Barenbaum, and she'll be signing books and talking at Bird's Books in Bethel, Connecticut, on Sunday, December 9th from 2 to 4 in the afternoon, and then, as if that's not enough, she races over to the perfect pair in Chester, Connecticut, 6.30 to 8.30. That event includes dessert and a book signing. So have been making lots of desserts from the book. Okay, well, there you go. Thank you so much. Take care, and happy holidays. Same to you all. Rose Levy Barenbaum author of Rose's Baking Basics, filled with pictures of all the steps. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.